Welcome. I'm Megan Smiley, and this is the Lawyer's Escape Pod. For those of you who've followed the rules, worked really hard to climb the ladder, but are looking around now and thinking, is this it? Is this my life? I hear you. You want more. You want freedom, fulfillment, purpose. But you don't really see how that's going to happen in the traditional work world. You're entrepreneurship curious, but it seems daunting and risky and sort of just unrealistic. In this podcast, I'm going to help you see just how possible it is to build a business and by extension, and really importantly, a life that you'll genuinely enjoy waking up to every morning. Hello. So today's guest is Dorna Moini. She is the CEO and founder of DocuMate, which is an easy to use platform for building client-facing legal apps. Prior to starting DocuMate, Dorna was a litigator at Sidley Austin. And while she was there, she did a significant amount of pro bono work, uh, particularly with domestic violence victims. And through that experience, she saw, you know, a, the gap in who was being served for a variety of reasons, um, but also how much technology could be leveraged to help serve this population. Um, you know, they're just being forms that everyone has to fill and there being a logic that sort of can be um, coded to help um, make the process of helping people more efficient. And um, in doing that, she it prompted her to create um, an app for exactly domestic violence survivors to complete and file their paperwork. Um, And after launching that, um, it opened the door to using a similar technology across multiple different practice areas. And that is what has developed now into DocuMate. So in this conversation, we talk a lot about this process of moving from being a lawyer to being an entrepreneur um, and how how that happens while also really sort of staying connected to the mission. I think you'll hear as I talk with Dorna just how much this process for her has been mission driven and remains so and how important that is (laughs) for being the fuel to get you through what can be a rough transition at, at times. Um, But she talks a lot about the transition out of full-time practice, you know, getting comfortable with, um, you know, knowing that you've got your own back, um, knowing that you can trust yourself to learn what you need to learn along the way, getting comfortable with what other people think about this leap that you're making. Um, And one thing she said that, you know, I think is is very poignant and I think very... um, true to my experience as well, which is that ultimately for her, the fear of regret around not doing this was just larger than the fear of failure. And ultimately, that's the moment where where you make the jump. So I really enjoyed this conversation. I know you will too. So on to the episode. Hi, Dorna. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Megan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, me too. So I like to sort of start my conversations with people in the same place, which is to ask, how did you end up going to law school in the first place? Yeah, so I come from a background, so my parents are from Iran, 
And Mm -hmm. one of the things that I definitely saw a lot of when I was growing up was just the disparity of legal systems in various countries around the world. And Mm. while the the legal system and the justice system in the U.S. is not perfect, it had a structure that I thought was really fascinating. Um, And so when I went into law school, I originally planned on going into international human rights work, which I did a little Mm. bit of in law school and a little bit of right after law school, but didn't end up going into uh, full time after that. But that was that was the genesis of my interests. The interest. And so is that you said you pursued it a little bit. How did how did things unfold for you once you were at law school? Yeah, so I I worked at law school. I worked um, I worked at a few different organizations. One was the Open Society Institute, where I spent some time going to a West African country called Mauritania, which is actually very large on the map, but a lot of people don't don't notice yeah. know it or know the name of it. Uh, but we worked on legislative drafting in the country for anti-discrimination law and actually anti-slavery law as well. But we could do a whole podcast on that. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then I also worked on I worked at the International Human Rights Clinic at my law school and. One of the things that, you know, I, I wanted to go into international human rights. And one of the things that my my professor in that course and in that clinic actually advised me of was when I looked at her background, she had gone and clerked and worked at a big firm for a little while and then mm-hmm. gone into international human rights um, when she where she worked at a bunch of different tribunals around the world. And she said that that path had actually been a really successful and great one for her because it gave her the background and the foundation for being able to do anything in the future. And so I sort of followed a little bit in those footsteps, um, along with obviously wanting to pay off some student loans and being attracted to that side of going into big law. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. But I ended up, I ended up at, at a big law firm. um, And I spent after law school, I spent about seven years, almost seven years in, um, in big law doing, Oh, wow. Mostly employment law and uh, trade secret litigation, class action litigation on the defense side. Yeah. So how was that for you? Seven years is more than sort of a small stepping stone, sort of. How were yes. you enjoying the, <laughs> the work? How, you know, where was there a time along the line where sort of your perspective on, on your trajectory changed? Yeah, that's a good question. So. I think that for me, I I actually really enjoyed working at a, at a big law firm. And I, I think employment law is unique in that you get a lot of really early opportunities to get serious exposure into actually being a lawyer. Even though you're at a big firm, you get a lot of like almost like small firm experience. So I was taking depositions in my first year because we had like class actions where some of those depositions were not that important. I mean, you know, everything's right, important, right. but it wasn't as important to the client. <laughs> right, they didn't right. mind that the first person was going to take it and there were going to be, you know, a hundred of them in this right. case. And so um, I got a lot of really early exposure to to being able to actually be in the field. And um, I also got a lot of trial experience, which which was really fun for me. I mean, obviously like all consuming, but also um, you you you're just completely on for the entire trial and it's it's very strategic and fast paced. And so I I really I actually really enjoyed it, unlike I think a lot of people who who leave big law. Um I think I yeah it, it is a little bit of a nature of the firm where you you start working and you sort of forget 
about how time has gone by and you're like, wow, yep. it's been almost seven years. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so if you were sort of liking it, what, what started to make you think, oh, I'm right, you know, I'm ready for the next step. Yeah. So I, um, I had always wanted to do more work that actually like using my law degree to help other people and actually make an impact in the community. So yeah. even while I was at a firm, pro bono work was really important to me and I tried to do as much of it as I could. Um, and the two areas that I worked a lot of, did a lot of pro bono in were immigration and domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And in the domestic violence field and really, you know, across, across America, just stepping back a, a, a level, like across America, the latest study that was done by the Legal Services Corporation says that 92% of Americans don't have their legal needs met. And that's because they can't, they either can't afford the average attorney's hourly rate or, mm -hmm. and, or they also can't really qualify for legal aid because legal, the threshold for legal aid is so low in terms of income. And there are all these other obstacles to obtain, obtaining legal aid, like geographic right. and time-wise, right. you have to figure out what to do with your kids and your job. So um, when we were helping people pro bono, we were we were finding that there was there were just so many people who we weren't able to help and so many people who the legal aid organizations we were working with had to turn away and mm -hmm. at the same time a lot of the early work the early stage work in some of these cases was yes complex from a legal and factual standpoint but pretty um pretty rules-based like a lot of mm -hmm. the law is um, and obviously where the rules break down, that's where you end up in litigation. But if you think about right, the law, right. it's very much like code. It's a bunch of yeah. if this and this or this rules, a very complex string of that. Um, right. And so what I wanted to do at the time I lived in San Francisco and I knew a lot of engineers because everyone mm -hmm. in San Francisco was an engineer <laughs> and <Yep. laughs> I always felt like it. <laughs> Um, and so I got together with a friend of mine and I was like, Hey, do you want to help me build an application, like a legal app, sort of like TurboTax, but not for tax for yeah. domestic violence that would help people get onto a platform, answer questions and be routed down the right path to be able to get answers and generate documents and then file those documents with the court at various stages of their cases. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I did not know how to code. Uh, my friend helped me build this application. We called it Help Self Legal, which um, was a terrible name because no one ever could, everyone always wanted to call it Self-Help Legal. But yeah, <laughs> um, we launched that and I was still at a firm when we launched it. And we yeah, actually got a lot of really good traction from it. Um, and we, we realized that there were lots of people who needed this type of tool. And for us as lawyers, it was helping us focus on the parts of the case that they actually needed human intervention on. So for example, actually right. going to the hearing, which maybe we may not, may not have had time for before because we only had, you know, we could only have like hundred or 200 pro bono hours a year. Um, yeah. And then, you know, taking appeals that were more complex that would be hundreds of additional hours of, of work. Yeah. So it was a really good model for us. Yeah. So speaking of limited time, how did you find the time to pursue this on the side with your presumably full-time workload at the firm? Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't know. I think, I think. We have to laugh <laughs> <sleep>. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's interesting because, you know, I, I, when I talk to people, it's, I, it's like, 
I always say, listen, if something piques your interest, pursue it, you know, explore what sort of just is of genuine interest to you on the side. And the answer is always, I don't, I don't have time. And so Uh I think it's really interesting because it's, if you're interested enough is what I'm hearing from you is you somehow found the time. Well, and that's actually, that's actually a good point because the next thing that happened was we realized we launched this domestic balance tool. Um, it was taking up a lot of time, but you know, still had, you know, you have like minimum bill water requirements too. So you have to do Mm -hmm. that. And what we, what we realized actually, what actually transitioned us into what is now document is we realized that there were so many other lawyers who were reaching out to us after they heard about what we had built in domestic balance, were reaching out mm-hmm. to us and saying, Hey, can you help us build something like that? But for mm-hmm. eviction defense or for divorce or for other areas of law and other jurisdictions. And so right. that's why we built Documate. But when we were when I was going out to, I was like, okay, you know what? This is I want to build a platform for to help lawyers build these tools on their own. And mm-hmm. so I actually it was a, I always say it in like a sentence, but it was actually like a very long, arduous decision of like leaving your firm <laughs> yeah. and all this stable yeah, salary yeah. and all that. But when I, when I told my, when I finally was like, okay, I'm going to do this full, I'm going to leave my firm and go do this full time. Um, the firm was like, Hey, would you be, why, why don't you do this part-time? Why don't you like continue working at the firm part-time and then you can do this part-time. And I thought about mm-hmm. that and I don't think that I could have done it like I could, I don't think I could have fully done it if I was doing it part-time because my time and my, my mental energy would have been completely split between the two. And I naturally mm-hmm. probably would have spent most of that time, you know, even though you're like, even if I was like part-time, I would be spending it all at the firm. Right, so right. I decided that I needed to be like, maybe this is like a personal thing and people who need to know themselves, but I needed, I decided that if I was going to do, do this, I needed to be fully 100% committed to doing this and nothing else. Yeah, um, which totally makes really sense. Successful. But I think it's really interesting because I think you ask a lot of people, they'd assume that wouldn't even be an option on the table, right? Like, oh, they're not going to let totally. me do that, you know? <laughs> totally, yeah. So, but, and then- and I mean, I did- like, For themselves, do they, yeah, is it, does it make sense to try and split your time or does it make sense to go all in? And that might be a personal decision, but I, I think people have more options than they perceive themselves to have. Totally. Yeah. And obviously it's also a, you know, it's about the time in your life. Like I didn't have any kids. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a mortgage. I just had like one San right. Francisco rent that I was splitting with my, I think he was my husband then. I don't know. I don't, I don't remember. Not, remember not. Right. Um, right. But it was like, you know, you have very low, low, uh, low risk. And I always thought like, if, I, if this doesn't work out, if I go do this and it doesn't work out. I can always come back to Sydney, right. like knock on their door. And they will, right. I know they will take me back. So right, right. Um, maybe you, you lose a year of income, but you, you yeah. got to try, try what you wanted to do and see if it worked out. Right. You didn't necessarily felt, feel like you were closing a door on a whole option for yourself. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people think that they're closing the door, but like, if you have built the, I mean, I, I don't know exactly like what the breakdown of your, your listeners are, if they're all like yeah. at firms or where they are, but like, if you have built that relationship and you have built that foundation, I think you're never really, if you do it the right, if you exit the right way, you're never really closing the door. Um, although hopefully right. you're leaving, you are closing the door because that's, that means you've been successful. Um, <laughs> right. What you, right. What you did. <laughs> yeah. I think. 
I think part of what gets people stuck is they think, okay, I guess in theory that's true, but you know, and I don't think this is true of every legal job. I think some places would be like, yeah, okay, whatever. I think there's this fear that this, there's a certain category of legal employer that is going to be like, what were you doing with your year? Even if it was like starting a company, I think there's this, this fear that like, none of that counts if I'm not actively practicing law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things that I've learned as a founder is that everything is about storytelling though. And yes. as long as you can like go back into that interview and tell a really compelling story about yeah. what, what you were doing and why it relates back and why it's actually like a hundred X more valuable to them. Um, yep. that you, you can, you can spin yes. them in the right way. And, and aren't we so, you know, we're sort of trained storytellers in a way as lawyers, right? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you get some terrible, terrible facts and you have to, you have to turn yeah. it into something positive. <laughs> yeah. So, so you left sort of knowing that you had, you know, you could always go back and how, how did it evolve from there for you? Yeah. So I actually, I sometimes liken my first year as a founder to, to being a first year associate where Mm -hmm. like, I remember when I was a first year associate, I was so excited about everything. And I was like, I am like superwoman. I can do everything. And I, you know, like someone would give you discovery, like the most boring task. And you'd be like, yes, discovery. This is so awesome. I get to work on, work on like responding to forum rogs. Um, yeah. And that's like the first phase. And then you all of a sudden realize that you know nothing and that you are like, mm, so yes. there's so much knowledge that you need to gain and there is so little time. Um, and that's the same thing that I sort of felt like I went through as a founder. I was like, okay, yeah. the like the honeymoon phase kind of wore off and I was like, oh, there's so much I need to do. Like I need to learn about sales yeah. and marketing. And uh, like I had an engineer, but everything else other than engineering was like me having to learn about it. And even working with an engineer is like a very unique, like working model that is not the same as when you work with lawyers at a law firm. So um, there was a huge learning curve, but we're fortunate to be in an, in an era of lots of, lots of content. And so there's, there's just so much, anything you want to learn, there's going to be a podcast or a YouTube video or a book or a blog about it. Yeah. And so I just sort of like dove headfirst into, into that and learned a lot. And yeah. I think once I reached that, like one year mark was when I, I finally think I found my feet and I was like, okay, I know what I'm doing. Like we have our product out. We were like gaining traction and getting customers. And like, even though there's a lot still to learn and a lot to do and a big journey ahead, it's, um, it feels more manageable and it feels like, okay, mm-hmm. I know the path, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it's interesting because, you know, you have this group of people who are very highly educated, very smart and accomplished people. And I think a lot of people actually get scared being like, well, I don't know how to do X. I don't know how to start, you know, a tech business and marketing and sales. And so I think it's really important, like that part where you said it's like, you just seemed like it you can trust yourself to learn what you need to know. And you didn't know everything that you were going to need to know the minute you made the decision to leave your firm. It doesn't sound like. Definitely. And I think one of the things you just touched on is also like the nature of us as attorneys is, you know, you, you went to law school, you got a law degree, everyone tells everyone like your family and everyone thinks you're like amazing because you're a lawyer. 
And there's this level of like prestige and like status almost that you have that you have to sort of be willing to take that ego hit because you're going to feel like people are, people think that what you did is really stupid for that, that like initial jump period. And you just have to sort of get comfortable with it because you, you will, you will find your path, but that first like, oh, I'm leaving the law to go do X, Y, Z other thing. People are going to think you're crazy. And they're gonna be like, what are you doing? You're throwing away this like extreme amount of experience and education and uh, time that you put in and they're not going to understand. So you sort of of just get comfortable with it. (laughs) And how did you like, was it, was it just that you sort of really believed in the mission of what you're doing? How did you tap into, did you, you know, I think sometimes we think other people are going to think that about it, but actually it's us maybe judging ourselves for it. And how do you yeah. like move through? <laughs> um, I mean, I think it's other people judging you too. <laughs> but yeah, but well, how... other people definitely judge because they like specifically said this to me. <laughs> like it was okay. especially when I was leaving the law firm, people were like, are you serious? One person was like, how are you going to, um, like, how are you going to pay for your rent? And I'm like, I've been practicing. I, it's not like I like squandered my, I like have savings. Right. I, right. I have a plan. Um, but I think people were, they, people just thought it was, especially, especially at the firm. I think everyone sort right. of lives right. in this world at the firm where the firm and partner track is the only thing. And like, if you start to look outside of that, um, right. you're insane. And so um, I think there was definitely that, but at the end of the day, it, it really was about I truly believed that I believed in what we were doing. And I also believed that if I didn't go do this, that either someone else would go do this and, you know, that mm-hmm. it would, it would be a thing. Um, or that I would just always regret it, regret it for the rest of my life. And yeah. Yeah. so I thought if I go do this and it fails, at least I've tried and I, I know what the result was. Yeah. Yeah. And, but it is hard, you know, if I, I don't think the expectation can be, oh, no, like everyone's going to totally understand it and get it. The truth is a lot of people may, may not, particularly a self-selecting group of fairly risk averse people, right? In, in a big mm-hmm. law firm, <laughs> even though like, totally. they, I'm sure they understand that, you know, they can get their head around entrepreneurship, but to actually be the one taking those risks, I think just feels very foreign. So it's also... And I wonder if your experience was, especially being in the Bay Area and doing something tech related, is that there's another group of people that you could surround yourself with that didn't think you were crazy, potentially. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. yeah, you have to sort of find your find your people and and get find that support network. Um, yeah. And and that also exists. I mean, basically, you know, all of your a lot of your listeners are the ones who have, yeah. I guess, made the jump. Um, are that are that group, and I'm sure there's a lot of a lot of support that yeah. can be through that community as well. Yeah, it's sort of like I think as lawyers we get there's this bubble that you referred to, and it's like hard to see outside the perspective because it's just sort of a self perpetuating mm-hmm. thought bubble. But so so yeah, so then you know you find yourself running a company. What is that like? <laughs> Yeah. So I think that it was like, I had this engineer who was working with me, but other than that, I was doing everything else. And, uh, we were bootstrapped for the 
first, I guess it was probably like the first year or so. And so everything was, you know, like just looking at the financial model and seeing what was going to work and who we could hire. But we, we went, we were pretty conservative with, with growth in that early phase because we were, we were really, the, our goal was let's get a product out and get, get users to start using it. And mm-hmm. they will, it will, it will inform us on sort of what we need to do next and whether this is, this is actually like we, we can find product market fit. Um, right, so right. I think it was just a lot of discovery and, and iteration um, mm. and, and, and then also building out a team was, I, I think that's like, that's the hardest job is just finding yeah. amazing people to work with you. Uh, yeah. especially as, as a small company, like if you're at a big company that everywhere, everyone knows the name, it's like, you know, it's easy to find really great candidates, but at, at a small yeah. company, you're really like evangelizing for the mission. And like, you ha- really have to get people to jump on board to, yeah. Um, to work with you. But we found some really great, I mean, we have an, a stellar team, like every single person on our team now, I am so, so impressed with and would trust everything with. Um, and, but that's, that's been, that's been, I think the hardest, hardest part alongside learning, yeah. learning all about everything else. <laughs> yeah. And, and how do you, how do you go about building a team that you both trust and you empower and who are like bought into your mission? Yeah, that's a good question. So that's definitely something that we like, I don't know if screen for is the right word, but like something that we look for when we're hiring, that's, that's, that's Mm -hmm. like, it's critical. If you, if you are not bought into our mission, which is that we are trying to help legal services become accessible to everyone and thereby also help lawyers become legal tech entrepreneurs that can, who can, who can scale their practices. Uh, Mm -hmm. If you don't believe in that, kind of core mission of, of making legal services more accessible, then that, then you're probably not the right fit for our team. Because I think that that's, that's, a, that's the primary reason why a lot of people join our team alongside, you know, giving them lots of opportunity and giving them lots of, lots of um, growth potential at a small company and lots of like responsibility um, yeah. is, is like really believing in that core mission. And I think that's what every single person on our team wakes up for and like comes to work for is yeah. uh, is because they believe in that. Um, yeah. And that you know there are certain roles that are in our at our company that are more client facing like marketing and right. obviously like our customer customer team and there are certain roles who are less less um less uh, customer facing and don't really see the impact in the same way and so that's mm-hmm. definitely my job is to for the engineers who are not talking to customers like bringing back stories about what our customers these lawyers who are building these incredible legal tech businesses are doing um, mm-hmm. and and helping them understand the bigger picture impact of, of yeah. the little day-to-day things that they're working on, which sometimes are really fun. And sometimes, you know, can also be, you know, there's every job has like more grunt work and, and some stuff that's, that's a lot more fun. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And, and it sounds like it's like, you know, bringing everyone in on the mission um, to, to sort of get buy-in I'm wondering, I, I don't, you know, I would say at a law firm, it feels like the mission is just you're supposed to serve the client and there's, it doesn't necessarily always feel like there's a deeper mission beyond <laughs> just being, mm-hmm. you know, that. And I'm wondering if there were other lessons, both positive and negative that you took from sort of 
being in a firm world and taking it into this whole new universe to go, these are things that I, I'm going to keep and adopt. And these are things that are important to me um, to sort of a, bring a different energy to the way I would manage a company. Yeah, definitely. So maybe I'll start on the, on the positive side. Um, yeah, yeah. I think on the positive side, like every, every law firm, you have these really high performing individuals who are working really hard to earn and keep your clients and colleagues trust. And that manifests itself through a lot of attention to detail, like super uh, extensive follow through responsiveness and really listening to the client. And so that's one thing that I think law firms and uh, law firms are very, do very well. Um, and I think every single person that I worked at a law firm was, you know, really super smart and, and, um, and really diligent about, about what they worked yeah. on. Yeah. At the same time, I think that there is a lot of opportunity. And I mean, this is no secret, like law firms have really high attrition, like women yeah. oftentimes don't make it into partnership ranks. Like there, there's a lot of stuff that there's a lot of cultural issues, at least that I've seen, you know, maybe not every group and every law firm is, is like this, but there's a lot of opportunity for improvement. And I think yeah. if you look at the way that certain startups do run their, run their businesses, um, there's a lot that law firms can learn from that. So one of those would just be like, like going back to that, that sort of like mission, like just explaining more to people on the team, what the mission is and how they are such a big part of it. Like I remember at a law firm, sometimes I would, I would send something in to a partner and then it was like supposed to be like a super urgent deadline. And um, you know, I worked like all weekend working on something and then I would just never, I would never get a response to my email. Right. Like, it was as if <laughs> like nothing. <laughs> and yeah, it's like, yeah. that doesn't take much time or effort to really make someone feel valued and make them feel like what they did was important. And then, and like, and like also kind of help them understand how it fits in with the bigger picture and the bigger successes. But it's something that I think maybe at law firms, because we're so focused on the billable hour, we're just lazy about, but it yeah. leads to true financial consequences. Like when you lose an associate that you've trained for three years, they just reached their like actual valuable um, potential and now they're leaving. Right. So right. I'm, I'm sometimes like a little baffled that law firms don't focus more on this because it seems like it just makes sense from a financial perspective. Yeah, um, there's seems to be a lot of management 101 that gets lost. On yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I think yeah. we don't realize that when we go to law school, we're we are. Yes, we're becoming lawyers, but we're also becoming business owners, like maybe not at the very first year level. But as you yeah. grow in that career, you you have to have you have to have all that business knowledge um, yeah. on management and, and client development and all of that in order to really yeah. succeed. So how did you sort of gain that, of uh, you know, those skills, those management skills? How did you come to sort of have this strong point of view on it when I don't think that's necessarily, you know, something we learn within a firm? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think the first thing is just that for us, like our mission is so critical that it's something that just by default, I thought people needed to be bought into mm -hmm. and, and I felt like they needed to understand in order to be yeah. able to execute on their roles. Uh, but there's also just a lot of really great 
like writing on on management um out mm. there and lots of like really great books uh like that that really even just like blog posts like for, like for example there's a vc firm called first first round um and they have a bunch of different articles on like culture setting and team building that and uh, alongside other articles about lots of other areas that i found were really valuable um, and it's it's really like anecdote like a lot of times people think like oh i wish i could talk to the ceo of like spotify or whatever it might be like some some big company and like understand how they did this thing but the thing is that data exists out there like these people have all done like podcasts where they've explained all, all of this stuff yeah so yeah you can find if you're like searching information searching for information you can find really extensive um information that you can apply to your own situation and i think really just looking at other startups uh, it was really yeah. a valuable experience for me. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, I think also as lawyers, we, we tend to feel like we need a piece of paper on the wall to, to sort of validate yes. that we can do something. And I think it's really helpful to just hear I, that the fact that you basically are self-taught on a lot of <laughs> elements of, of what you've built, I think is a really important message for people to hear. Yeah, definitely. You don't need to go to business school to learn how to how to become a business owner. Business school gives right. you a lot of other things, like really great connections, I'm sure, and fun trips. But at least that's what we saw <laughs> when we were next door at the law school. <laughs> they yeah, were all partying. I, I know. <laughs> my brother, my brother went to um, went to business school at Stanford actually, and I was just like, well, I've made some wrong decisions in my life. That looks like it's a lot more fun. <laughs> He's like off on a trip with like the king of some country. <laughs> Right? Yeah, like exactly. Yeah. And I'm just like, you know, in the basement of the library. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, uh, that being said, I do, uh, I I all I no, I I come from someone who did after leaving the law go back and get a masters in higher education. So I'm always like, mm-hmm. please don't run out and get another degree because that is almost universally not necessary and just is a comfort <laughs> zone for us. Um, because we want to avoid the discomfort of kind of not being an expert, not having the credential. So I like to highlight where it's not necessary. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. So what's, what is it like to be a founder, like in terms of even just, you know, how much of your life is devoted to your work? It, are you able to sort of have all the elements that you want in your life? Do you feel like you get to sort of design it around what you want? I mean, I know it's crazy at the beginning, but sort of what's been your experience about about sort of work-life integration? Yeah, that's a good question because I think that when I first left the firm, I was just so used to, I was used to like that work style and environment. And I mean, I think, I mean, I'm not like preaching that everyone like kill themselves at work, but I think that was definitely really beneficial to like having, coming with that work ethic was really beneficial mm-hmm. to being able to get something off the ground and, and work mm-hmm. really hard. But at the same time, it felt really different because I was doing it for myself. Like it was, it was, it was like my baby. Like I yeah. love this company. <laughs> I really wanted yeah. to wanted to build it I wanted to succeed and at the same time like I didn't expect that like even though I was working I literally work like around the clock and check emails sometimes in the middle of the night like I don't I definitely don't expect that of my team and I try to like make sure that they're sort of shielded from that so they feel like they have a good Mm. work-life balance but for me it's yeah I love I love what I do like 
I'm, when I'm sleeping, I'm thinking about it. I'm having dreams about it. I'm like, when I'm driving, everything I'm doing, I'm thinking about what, how we can make our product better and how we can, you know, execute on, on our vision. And so I probably did not have a very good work-life balance. Um, I did have a baby like 18 months ago now. And so that definitely, thank you. Um, that definitely, I think was one of those things in my life that just like changed my perspective on life and on work. And yeah. honestly, yeah. I actually think that some, I've I had heard, heard people say this before, but I, my, my husband used to work at a consulting firm and he was like, everyone would say like, you should work for a mom because moms know how to efficiently use their time. They're not going to like yeah. spend like BS time in meetings because they want to get like that time with their kids yeah. in the afternoon. And yeah. I think that is so true. Like I have become, I've just become more efficient with my time. I'm like, okay, this is something that I don't need to be part of. This is something I can delegate. I do that. And then, uh, this is something that I do need to be part of. You know, I, I am part of that. So, um, I sort of just like structured my life a little bit more. And obviously you don't, you, you definitely have more of that flexibility when you're, when you're working for your, you know, you start something yourself and you're able to like set that culture. Um, right. So yeah, I think that has definitely been like a big life life shift for me. Right. And, and the fact that like the appreciation of the fact that you can be productive and get done what you, you know, want to get done. And it means, you know, I feel like in law firms, there's a lot of, are you giving off the impression that you're working mm-hmm. hard versus are you just efficiently delivering what, what you need to deliver? Um, and the other oh thing. Oh my God, that that's resonates- so true. <laughs> right? I mean, honestly, you know? when I first started this, this company, I would get off a call with someone and I would be like, okay, okay, awesome. That was like point three, And then I'd be like, wait a minute, why do I care that it was 0.3? Like, was it a success? Was it a call I should have been on or not? It's point just because yeah. I spent 0.3 on it doesn't mean it was successful. Like it might've been a waste of that 0.3 time. But I was right? so trained in thinking about like, if I spent time working, that means it was good. Yeah. I mean, I've told this story before, but in my first year evaluation came in and they were like, oh my gosh, you're great. Everybody likes working with you. Uh, everyone wants you on your team, but uh, you know, your billable hours just were, I mean, I'm, you, I'm exceeded my minimum, but it wasn't like off the charts. They're like, so, mm-hmm. and they said to my face, they're like, if this were based on quality, your, your bonus would be really the biggest, but it's not, it's based on hours. And I was like, this is a ridiculous system. Oh my God. <laughs> right. I was like, all right, well, I'm going to pretty much start planning my exit now. Cause this is just right. not a way to structure things it's a bad incentive system um, yeah and that's another one of those examples where you're like how does this firm re- not realize that these words are not not encouraging right right <laughs> this amazing you know? this, this like associate who they're saying is like amazing stellar super high work quality but they're just discouraging you right right but you know and i think and then the other part of what you said which sort of relates to this is that you know the people who go to law school and, you know, are successful, you know, there's not really a question of like, do you have a work ethic? Like, of course you have Mm -hmm. a work work ethic and it makes such a difference when you're applying that to something you really care about. So it may be that it's not even a question, are you working fewer hours? Although I think for some people, you genuinely also want the balance of working fewer hours, but there's something about I like to use the words work-life integration even more so than balance, although I don't always do it perfectly because 
it could be that you want to, like you described, throw all of your time into something and it's, and it's not, it's not killing you because you love it and it matters to you and the mission matters to you. And it's like a baby, like you said, mm-hmm. right? You yeah. know, the same number of hours can feel very different. Yes, definitely. Yeah. 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 I, I totally agree. It's, it's about what you're doing, not not how much how much you're doing it necessarily although yeah I, I definitely especially in the context of kids like there's only 24 hours in a day and so right you sometimes you right. also need less hours but if that mental energy that you're spending even when you're doing your own fun things like let's say you're going on a run and you're thinking about work it, it's very different if you're thinking about work and you really love what you're doing versus you're thinking about work and you're stressing about like the deadline or you know something that right something that went on right yeah, like the mental weight of of things versus just the time spent. Yeah. Yeah. I also found that like, I think a lot of times people are, it's, it, are you like, like, for example, my husband and I, when we talk about work at night, like at, at dinner, like where, whereas I feel like a lot, sometimes you may be complaining about work. Mm-hmm. Now it's, it's a lot of, I mean, there's obviously always things that go wrong and things you need to complain about too, but, but there's, yeah. there's also, there's just a lot more like positive, like, oh, this is what I'm excited about. Like you're still talking about work, but you're talking about it because you're so excited about it and you're, and there's like so much opportunity and future for, for yeah. it rather than yeah. like talking about what, what's bogging you down, which is right. obviously right. also a reality, but. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think that that can be so energizing to just be mm-hmm. truly that invested in it. So definitely. So are there what are the big challenges of being a founder? I'm sure there are plenty and you've touched on some of them, but I'm curious like Yeah, definitely. Um I guess other I think I would say like hiring is number hiring and people are number one. Yeah. Um yeah. probably after that I would say is is like this you are really on like an emotional roller coaster where mm. everything that is that is good is like exponentially more amazing and you are so excited about it and then anything that is even slightly bad is like exponentially more terrible in terms of how it makes you feel and so right. you have to sort of be prepared for that and and also have to have perspective on on like the bigger picture but it's it, it like it like sort of like we were talking about like it is your baby and so everything is it's very weighty, weighty, um, everything that happens. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it's, um, I think entrepreneurship in general can be so much more of a mind game, (laughs) mm -hmm. you know, like how do I keep my, my head in the game, um, through all of those ups and downs, right. It can be very much a roller coaster. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And then also have your team also, um, on board through through all of that as well. Right, right. Yeah. So if you're looking back and sort of thinking about if there's someone who's maybe feeling like they have an idea they want to pursue, but they don't think it's, you know, realistic or, you know, what would you say to someone who was sort of in your shoes X number of years ago? Yeah. Um, I mean, I would definitely say, like, if, if you have this idea and you and you really do believe in it, and after you've done maybe a little bit of, I'm not it, assuming that it's like a, it's actually like a business idea specifically where yeah, you know, something new that you want to vet, vet, 
like first go talk to people and talk to the people who would potentially be your customers. Like the way that I sort of did that when we were doing our domestic balance tool, we had this domestic balance tool and then we were transitioning into what is what was doc document is we started talking to other legal aid organizations and we were like, Hey, what would you want to build? And we let them, we, we did a lot of like, there's this thing that um, they say, like do, do things that don't scale um, as mm -hmm. a, as an yeah. early stage founder. Like we started, yeah. started actually like physically building things for people for free and just seeing if this idea that we had, which was like helping people, helping empower people to build legal apps, is this a thing that we can that we can do? So we started doing this with legal aid organizations. Um, and then when we first built the first version of our product, which was like super buggy and like embarrassing now when you think back on it, uh, we put it into their hands and they we let them test it. And so I would say like the first stage when you're thinking about an idea is just talk to users and get something out into the world. So if it's a software product, like get your MVP, your minimum viable product out into the world. And it's going to like, if you're, they say like, if your first product isn't your first, your MVP isn't embarrassing, then you launch too late because you need yeah. to, you need to actually figure out what people think of it. And that's going to help you understand whether it is a good idea, whether it needs to be taken in a little bit of a diff different direction. Um, yeah. So don't be afraid like, to, so to launch. <laughs> It's like you have to put on a scientist hat and take off your lawyer hat because, you know, in the law, you're like not permitted to put out, you know, incomplete <laughs> things, right? It's a real mentality shift. Exactly. Yeah. So true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take, stop uh, being a perfectionist a little bit and right, uh, right, obviously exactly. choose those early users, right? So that they're the ones who are the most tolerant of it, uh, yeah. but then put yeah. it out there. And then really after that, it's about just iterating like mm -hmm. get feedback and really iterate on that super quickly, like get feedback, yeah. immediately apply it, get feedback, immediately apply it and then keep testing. Um, yeah. 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 So where do you sort of see your trajectory going from now? I mean, obviously you're up and running, you've got a company and you've got employees sort of, where do you see yourself taking this and in the future? Yeah. So our goal is to, uh, it's been estimated that in the next 10 years, about 90% of legal services are going to be delivered online. And wow. part of that is the current legal landscape and like things, things that might be delivered online that are already being provided. But part of that is also this latent legal market of people who don't have access to legal services, who will start accessing legal services online and will actually be able to, to participate in the legal system. And so as, as a company at DocuMate, we want to be the infrastructure for that. So mm -hmm. we want every lawyer who, who's trying to build a legal product to think, where do I build that, that product? I build it on DocuMate. That's where I can set up all the logic and connect it to all my documents and white label it and put it in front of my customers. And then we eventually want to also have every consumer who wants, we, we want to help consumers get connected with those lawyers. So I think a lot mm -hmm. of times, one of the hard things for, for the people who build on our platform, the lawyers who build on our platform, they a lot of them are really great at social media and they can find their own audiences um, that are outside of their core current client group. But some of them yeah. have, have trouble with that and they say, you know, how do I work SEO and um, search engine marketing? And that's something that we try to give them some training on. Like we, we provide some resources on that a little bit, but it's we we are we want to actually help connect those end users to them so mm -hmm. that's where we're going as a company and as a product is 
perfecting that experience for the builder, for the lawyer who's building these these amazing tools, and then also helping mm-hmm. them get connected with the community of people who needs need their services. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you you can just hear in your voice like your excitement and your commitment to to this. I always get excited when I talk to people who you just. You can tell you're doing what you're meant to be doing in this moment, right? It just feel, I can feel it. <laughs> so I'm glad, glad it comes through. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if people wanted to learn more about Documate or or your background, what are, what are the best ways to find you? Yes, definitely. So Documate, you can find uh, at Documate.org. Um, I am, you can always reach me by email at Dorna at Documate.org. I'm also on all the social medias and there are not a lot of other Dorna Moines, so you'll probably find me pretty quickly <laughs> uh, on <laughs> <Yeah>. all of them. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat and tell your story. I really appreciate it, Dorna. Yes. Thank you so much, Megan. I think that this podcast that you do is such an incredible resource for people who were in the position that I was a few years ago, because um, I think a lot of the people that you've had on here have just incredible stories to tell. And I'm really honored to, to get to be a part of it and share my story with your amazing listeners. Oh, thank you. All right.